of the unique features of the Living Church of Jesus Christ is its ever-expanding body of fundamental spiritual knowledge about man's identity and purpose, which enlarges the memory of this people. Scripture declares that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, and if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven and dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. We come having prayed and prepared. For many of us, there are pressing worries and earnest questions. We want to renew our faith in our Savior Jesus Christ strengthen our ability to resist temptation and avoid distractions. We come to be taught from on high. The purpose of this and every general conference is to help us to hear him. Hey everyone, welcome to Conference Talk, Christ Center Conversations podcast. So we are here and we are on episode 19. Wow, we're almost at 20. So we hope you guys really enjoyed the previous two ones, 17 and 18, because those were our um, guests that so graciously volunteered their time and recorded their thoughts for us. And so I hope you enjoyed hearing other people's voices. And now you get to hear ours again. <laughs> so we're here, but we're talking about Elder Holland's talk, um, A Perfect Brightness of Hope. And I'm excited we got to do Elder Holland. And I know Kevin said that last time. So Kevin's here, by the way. He's over there. Hey. <laughs> and it was a really, really good talk. This was also, we did our Book of Mormon podcast um, on chapter 25. And I felt like second Nephi chapter 25. And I felt like it was a really like a rally cry episode, like uh, chapter, I guess you could say. Like yeah. it was really gun ho That's how I felt about Elder Holland's talk. Oh, for sure. It was really like motivating and powerful and so um then it, it made me ask a lot of questions about what i can do so anyway let's uh dive in <laughs> right kev that's right so where do we want to start what do we want to start with um man i mean elder holland definitely he he addresses a lot of things he talks about a lot of things uh, it's very much a sweeping talk um but i mean he he begins um with kind of imagining you know he, he he proposes that we imagine ourselves in the early 1800s which is the time um before or during the restoration like the the foundations of the restoration right right and so he proposes that we imagine ourselves as men and women living in that day and what, what we would kind of expect. What their hopes were. Yeah. I, I realized when listening to this, I thought, um, and I'm going to be kind of cynical here for a second, but I thought to myself, well, of course, you know what you'd be looking for because you have the truth now. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So I kind of looked at it like, okay, so 
he's an apostle of the Lord. Obviously, he knows what they would have been looking for. But I took a step back and I thought to myself, well, you have to understand the context in the time of the 1800s, because pretty much every single person in the Americas was religious, knew the Bible, knew who God was, right, or Jesus Christ. And everyone had their own beliefs about it. Um, or interpretations of it. And so I, I, I stepped back and I thought, well, wait a minute. It's not just because he's an apostle of the Lord now and would know what to say to, you know, make this talk fit, right? But it really was the time and the context of these people who knew to some extent the character of God and his son, Jesus Christ. So of course, these questions that Elder Holland is asking were 100% true given the time and the context. You know what I'm saying? Because I because I almost looked at it from a point of someone who's not a member, member of our faith looking in and saying, well, yeah, of course the apostle knows what to say because he's trying to get you to believe it, right? And so I wanted to challenge that belief and think, oh, well, it's not just because he's an apostle. Like, let's, let's go back in time. So time and context is what I really learned make a very big impact, not only on reading talks, but also reading scriptures to right. understand fully. And that led me to the thought, uh, the first question I wrote down in my notes was, what is the character of God? And um, <clears throat> I wrote down some of my own uh, thoughts and then I put evidence, question mark, because that's what they were looking for, was evidence of a loving God um, still talking to them or going to talk to them at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into more about that, but I just, I just want to throw that out there. It was, like, it, was it was cool to challenge my thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate those insights. Um, there's, you know, the the time leading up to the first vision is a a time in history, which I believe was, it was referred to as the second great awakening. Um, And I'm actually gonna go over here to my gospel topics. Um, Going down to the S's here. This is kind of a, a little like, hmm. Is it there? Well, it's not under Second Great Awakening. Just search the Gospel Library for Great Awakening. You might find it better. It's in, it's in like a... Okay, so it's not... Maybe not the second. Here, let's see. So the Awakenings and Revivals Church History Topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just, I've read this before, which is why it came to, my, came to my mind. And, you know, this was a period of time where people were looking for God. They were, right. they were definitely looking to commune with him and, and to know him better. And of course, like you said, everyone did have kind of a a Judeo-Christian background in their upbringing, Mm -hmm. but they were really looking for that, um, 
that new, or rather that, that, that real connection with him. And of course, many churches were happy to accept converts because right. of this, this like awakening, right? Um, I'm going to read from it. It says, the spirit of awakening energized men and women of all races and from all walks of life. Groups such as the Episcopalians, Congregationalists, and Presbyterians practiced more structured worship. Their revivals typically consisted of formal lectures and Sunday preaching, with their ministers intensifying their remarks to rouse audiences to greater devotion. In contrast, the Methodists and Baptists canvassed the countryside, holding classes and worship services. As their preaching circuits fanned out deeper into the frontiers, many circuit riders grew famous for braving hazards to take the gospel to remote outposts. In many rural areas, preaching featured overnight camp meetings that drew crowds for days at a time. And it talks about personal conversion, which was the hallmark of revivalist preaching appealed to religious seekers who felt dissatisfied with the dominant churches of the time. Hmm. So, yes, I mean, there were a lot of people looking to receive something, something that, yeah. you know, uh, the Holy Ghost, you know, and, and I, the spirit had to be working at that time and so many different people preparing them. Oh, of course. For, I mean, there's that story. Um, I think it's on like the church website, but um, uh, it's a movie, actually. It's like mm -hmm. a little movie clip of a man um, who had revealed to him through personal revelation that the church would eventually be restored. And he taught that to people around him. And one of those people was Wilfred Woodruff. Mm. And Wilfred Woodruff was the young boy at the time. This man's a very older man. And um, he testified to him that he would find the truth and and be baptized in the true church of God. And that prepared Wilford Woodruff and he became a prophet, right? So um, even though this old man, he did pass away before he saw the restoration, um, Wilford Woodruff knew he could do his temple work. Mm. So it was just this cool little story. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it is on uh, the church website somewhere. I'll try to, I'll try to find it and maybe we could link it in the notes, but um, yeah, so the point is people were looking and, and I wanted, I guess it just was important for me right away to know that, um, to rebuke or to understand that it's not just Jeffrey R. Holland saying this because he's an apostle. So, um, those are my thoughts, but I, I think as I continued on, I realized he talks about the things that that they would want to know what they would want to hope for and see. Mm -hmm. And he calls those things like anchors to the soul is what I took away from that. And, um, and that's the reality of Jesus Christ and his gospel. It's the foundational truths, like the priesthood and temples and ordinances and baptism. And, you know, all these things come forth, prophets, apostles. Um, those are anchors to the soul um, which coincide with the foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I thought of that scripture in Ether, Ether, hmm, I want to say 12.6, about an anchor to the soul. Hold on. Um, I'm going to bring it up on my phone really quick. I didn't write it down in my notes. I should have. 
but it says, maybe it's, um, I know where it's at visually if I were to go get my scriptures. Because <laughs> I'm like that where I, I can see it on the page. I know it's like on the right-hand side in the middle of the page, but I don't necessarily remember. Um, I will find it, you guys. But my point is that these things are things that anchor our soul to Jesus Christ. Um, that they're not, they're important things. And they were things to be hoped for and to be looked for. Oh, Ether 12, 4. We found it the exact same moment. It's funny because I went to Ether 12, but I went to verse 6 and was like, oh, it's not verse 6. And like thought it might be in another chapter. Um, and it says, Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with a surety hope for a better world. Hope, right? They're hoping for a better world. Even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. And it's funny because towards the end of the talk, I wrote down my own little thing that says, steadfastness in Christ comes from the foundational truths and anchors of the soul a.k.a. verse 4 in chapter 12 of Ether. <laughs> says it right there. I just kind of rephrased it in my own way without even knowing it. So the hope and the faith and the anchors and everything pull in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what um, Jeff Holland is getting at because then he continues on by saying, we still have a need to hope. Like we're still can hope for more in the future now, like from 2020 on, there's still magnificent things we can hope for beyond what we've ever imagined. And President Nelson has hinted at that before. So I feel like I'm talking a lot, sorry. <laughs> so what I want to kind of delve a little bit deeper into is, you know, I mean, we started kind of talking about maybe a, a cynical perspective or like a, um, <clears throat> a non-believer perspective of like, well, yeah, of course the church guy is gonna say that people in 1820 were looking for the true church. Right. It, that's very convenient that your <laughs> church's founder <laughs> right. saw God allegedly in 1820. Right. Um, it goes on to say in the talk, uh, Elder Holland says, had we lived in those first years of the 19th century, which is the 1800s, we would have realized with great alarm that doubts about the reality of the Savior's life and resurrection were beginning to take significant hold within Christendom. Therefore, we would have hoped for evidence to come to the world, the whole world, that would confirm the biblical witness that Jesus is the Christ, the literal son of the God of God. Alpha and Omega, and the only Savior this world will ever know. And he goes on. But what I really wanted to hone in on with that statement is that that's not different than today. There are people, there are large populations who are beginning or have lost faith that Christ, that Jesus Christ, um, was a 
was a divine being. Um, some people may admit that it's likely that he existed. I think even the most staunch critics of Christianity will say, yeah, he, this guy probably lived, but he was, he was a revolutionary. He was um, one of the many preachers of the land, you know, in Galilee at the time that were, you know, preaching um, against oppression, like Roman oppression. And, and he was just a, uh, this subversive, right? And um, that can be, that can be disheartening. And as we can see that, you know, societies that move farther away from God and trust more in worldly uh, voices, they, they suffer consequences. And like today, people are much more quick to listen to a celebrity than they are to a preacher or a minister. Um, even if, if they know that we have a living prophet at all. I mean, I fell into that trap um, a little bit in my kind of in between years between the time that I got home from my mission and the time that I really started getting more active again. I fell into a little bit of a less activity uh, time and I started listening to podcasts of celebrities or, or just what I thought were wise people and what they were saying made sense. Right. I never went all the way, you know, to the far end of the spectrum of saying like, no, this religion probably isn't true. But a lot of people have listened to those worldly voices because they do make sense. They appeal to kind of the natural man or just the, you know, a natural man can also be kind of like a, a rational man. Right. So the, the hope and why it's an anchor to the soul is that I think it, it, it settles you. It, it establishes you in something that is not so easily sifted, right? Mm. Like a literal anchor, right? It drops to the bottom of the, the sea or in a shallow water and it holds the boat there regardless of where the currents are pushing it. And needless to say, I mean, I don't want to make, I don't want to be obvious or rhetorical, but those worldly voices, they do push you around. They say, Hey, do this now. Hey, do that now. Hey, buy this. Hey, go and, you know, take up this cause. And with a, with a, a 24 hour media cycle with, um, scientific breakthroughs all the time. There's just like, you know, you, you could literally be picking up a new way of living every single month for the rest of your life. But to root yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ and a lifestyle in the gospel, that's very profound and it's very rare. And to be honest, that's what we crave. We crave, like we talked about on, on the Book of Mormon podcast before. Right. We don't like change. Humans don't like changing. Mm -hmm. But 
the, what the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it, it kind of plays a little trick on us, not like a bad trick, but it tricks us into progressing, like changing for the better always, as opposed to changing like what we believe, how we spend our time, you know, right. how we see other people. Um, those things stay the same or just get a lot better and a lot deeper. Now I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> it's kind of like when you read this talk and then start talking about it, you can't not just share like one sentence and be done because right. there's just so much in the talk that you're like, oh, and then that makes you think of this. And here's my thought on that. And then he goes on to this. So I, I understand what you're saying. I 100% get it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I love what you said. I just want to, uh, what's the word? Give my second witness that I know everything Kevin said is true. Um, and it's very important to, it's very important to make sure you're rooted. And I have many examples, like metaphorical examples of, you know, rooting yourself and, and not just being still in the commotion is so important. And what keeps you still is that faith and that hope for what's to come, right? <clears throat> you know that eventually the Son of God, of the living God, will come and make everything that has ever been wrong right and, you know, reward those for their obedience, who were obedient. Something that... I think is a good, this is a good segue into is where Elder Holland, he brings up, he brings up COVID-19 because mm. this was at the height uh, of the pandemic that yeah, he like, spoke. It was just a timeline. COVID was in March, right? When everything went cray cray. And then <laughs> um, conference happened the first weekend in April. Right. So we're like beginning of COVID. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of like uncertainty and fear about it. And he talks about um, a, he, he, he calls COVID-19 a solemn reminder that a virus a thousand times smaller than a grain of sand can bring entire populations and global economies to their knees. Mm. And he, he does say that when it passes and it will pass, um, what are we going to do to remember the, the needy? Because, I mean, it's when a disaster strikes. It's when a bomb, or not a bomb, excuse me, a, an explosion happens in Beirut mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't know how many people, but at least tens of thousands of people are impacted by that. Right. And everyone wants to rush in and help. You know, I'm not I'm not like an expert on uh, Beirut and, and Lebanon, but they were having some troubles before this, this and this yeah. didn't help. And so why is it that like, hey, we're getting in there to like uh, administer to the needy and the poor and the hungry once this disaster happens? But before that, I mean, what was being done on a global scale to help their economy and their poor before that. At that right. time, it was like, oh, just let them figure it out. It's their problem. Oh, but this 
catastrophe now means that we go into hell. That's mm -hmm. like that's like the opposite of a Zionistic. And when I say Zionistic, I mean a, a godly, people. right? Like a godly people do. Godly people are mindful of their neighbors, mindful of the needy and what they can do to support their community, even a global community. The perfect example is Christmas time. Why does everybody have to wait till Christmas time to, to be careful to give, right. <laughs> right? You can be giving all year long and that's important. And, and even if it's little acts of giving throughout your year, I mean, yes, Christmas is known for bigger giving. I mean, the Ellen show and like Oprah, you know, they give away crazy big deals at Christmas. Yeah, speaking of worldly and celebrities. But that's, that's my point. It, it all happens then, right? Why is it not happening every month, every day that we give to those and we are just as committed to, to freeing the hungry and, and the poverty and child trafficking and adult trafficking, we need to be as equally committed to that as we are as stopping COVID-19 to the fact that everybody quarantined in their homes for like a month straight. Yeah. Like everyone was willing to do at least a minimum. Right. To do their part. If everyone were to, to be willing to do a minimum amount of work, or, or service, I mean, our world would look very different oh, in a, in like a month time period the, but here's, here's, and I, I hope, no pun intended. <laughs> I hope we don't, we're not getting too off point on this talk. It's just that what elder Holland is talking about is when we, when we feel the, the faith of, uh, that, that's, that comes into our lives and that we start to exercise when we live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like one, how do we, how do we maintain it? Kind of goes back to uh, president Eyring's talk on Saturday evening, mm -hmm. right? Where he talks about, Hey, this study, this preparation that I did for this conference has changed me. And I want it. Like, I want that change to stay. I want to, remain changed you know when we go to church and and when we do go to church we feel a need to change when we partake of the sacrament if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing we feel that that spirit move upon us and say how, how do i change for the better well you know one instrumental way that's in the sacrament prayer uh, prayer to help us be changed and stay changed is to remember our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are living in a time or living in a, a circumstance in which you didn't have a sure faith in Jesus Christ, I think that's where you start to be pushed around by these um, pre prevailing winds and the, the waves. And, um, yeah, that's. And otherwise the world. Right. Right. That is, so now taking this talk to a personal note, 
um, for me at least, what I took away was what are my hopes? What should my hopes be? Um, and I wrote down some of them and I put uh, just some examples. I put COVID-19 limitations are gone because I'm not the biggest fan of a face mask. I don't know if you guys are, but I wear it because you know it helps prevent the spread, but I would like that to be gone. I hope for that to be gone one day. Um, I hope to pass my license test when I take it at the end of September. And all these things um, are hopes that I have in, in the worldly sense to help me be better, right? But also I hope for um, the, the church to have more temples. I hope for a temple to be built nearer to us. I mean, we have one 45 minutes away, but it'd be really cool if it was 10 minutes down the road. Um, I hope for uh, a family, right? Like I hope for all these things to come. And so we should be hoping. <laughs> My point is, if you're listening and you don't have a clue what's in your future, we'll start hoping, start dreaming, dream big, because you can do that with the Lord. Do hope and dream and, and work. The key is to work. <laughs> And as you work and you have faith, miracles happen. And they may not happen the way you thought they would, but they happen. And so, I don't know, I just took away, keep hoping. And part of that hoping is keeping my promises that I made to the Lord. You know, that I would remember Him. That I would um, serve, minister when I can, fulfill my calling. Just so many things that we promised to the Lord. And... I don't know. At the end of the talk, um, there's a quote. He says, we did not come this far to only come this far. And he's quoting a sister uh, that he was talking to. And it's like, yeah, dude, I didn't come this far just to go this far. <laughs> like, I want to go farther. I want to hope more and I want to keep going. So. So as my, as my concluding thought to this talk in this episode you know elder holland at the at the end of the talk does mention that there is a, a there's definitely a component of effort involved and and that there's more that we can do um to to receive that conversion for ourselves that we were talking about near nearer to the beginning of the episode where people were looking for personal conversion. They were, they were hoping to be changed for the better by these interactions with the divine. Right. And I just want to bear my testimony that that is available to us today in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And through the, the restored church, we have all of the, the necessary ordinances, the blessings that help us to live rewarding lives here on the earth and live eternal lives after this life. And, uh, I know that's true. And I say it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, 
that's it. <laughs> that's a wrap. That's that talk. Um, next week, we'll be back with um, a talk by Elder David A. Bednar. Let this house be built unto my name, which is the talk about. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I thought it was the one about. We already talked about it. But it's let this house be built unto my name. And we're going to talk about him next week. And I'm excited because I like Elder Bednar. He always, 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 always starts by saying, I pray that the spirit will be here with you and me to teach us and learn together. Every time. Yep. Every single time. If you don't believe me, go look up all his talks. See what happens. <laughs> anyway, so we'll be back on episode 20 next week with conference talk. Yeah. Well, and thanks so much for listening, y'all. Um, yeah. Have a great week. See you next time.